why should we who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, why should we study Bible prophecy? Have you asked yourself that question? I suspect that you know it's important. You're not exactly sure why, but you hesitate. Well, let me try to encourage you that you can study Bible prophecy and you ought to study Bible prophecy for a number of reasons. Let me just cover a couple of important reasons why why you should dedicate yourself to the study of the prophetic word. First of all, a sizable percentage of the word of God, when it was written, was written about future events. In other words, if the Bible's important to you, prophecy is going to be important to you because it makes up somewhere around 25 to 27% of the Bible. So in other words, imagine every fourth verse plus, when it was written, was talking about something in the future. Now, that's unique to the Bible. You're not going to find that in any other book in the annals of human history. And so a sizable portion of the Bible was written about future events. And then we also know that there is a special blessing that God gives to those who study Bible prophecy. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now take that apart. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. They didn't have multiple copies of the Word of God like we do. We have it in digital form now. We can send it all over the globe instantaneously. In their case, they had limited portions of the Word of God, and at a given time, they would receive a letter or a portion of Scripture, and they would have to gather together, and a person would have to read what the Word of God says. Now, that person who does that is blessed, the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. By the way, there's still great value in doing precisely that. Even though we have multiple copies, most of us, just to hear the word of God being read. Just what I read at verse 3 of Revelation chapter 1, just to hear those words, it's powerful, isn't it? So the blessing is, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. Just listen to the word of God. I would encourage you to take uh, the opportunity when you're traveling especially and, and listen to the reading of the Word of God. Just allow it to, to shower into your mind. And then it says, and those who keep what is written. In other words, someone has to read it. We need to hear it, but then we must obey it. We must do what the Word of God says. That's one of the reasons we call ourselves the, the ministry. Our name is Live the Word, because it seems like there's a major deception in the body of Christ, and that is we've been exposed to the Word of God, but many times we're not living out that truth. And that, in James chapter 1, we're told, is a great deception. Well, when it comes to Bible prophecy, someone has to read, we all have to listen, and we all need to obey to experience the blessing that is promised. Now, we also study Bible prophecy not only because it's a sizable portion of the Word of God and because it promises a special blessing, but we do so because it allows us to be confident in the Word of God. I mean, it's miraculous. Have you ever studied Bible prophecy and especially looked at how prophecy was fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ? 
It will bolster your faith when you begin to see Isaiah wrote over 700 years before the Lord came. And then he obviously described Roman crucifixion that did not exist when he wrote what he wrote in Isaiah chapter 53. So you begin to see this and you realize that this is a work from God channeled through yeoman authors under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so we study Bible prophecy because it will bolster our faith in God's Word. It will also help us to understand that under the sovereignty of God, we can be confident in terms of what the future holds. Now, God has given it to us straight. There are times coming, and it looks like we're getting close, when things are going to be extremely difficult across the globe. And we've just had a major taste of that with the pandemic. And and so we can look at what is taking place in our world and not be surprised. We can remain confident in our God who is sovereign and has told us in advance what is coming. And so we can be confident in the word of God. We can derive comfort when times, difficult times come. And then when it comes to Bible prophecy, of course, we can use it as a way to reach people with the gospel. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in major part because I was told about Bible prophecy. I had never heard that the Bible predicted the future. I had never heard that the Bible talked about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It got my attention. And rather than studying things like major religions or Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, I started to study the word of God. And as a result of that, as I considered what the Bible had to say, I eventually, by the grace of God, a movement of the spirit of God, and I thank God so much for it, I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have had since then, now decades later, a continued love for Bible prophecy. And if there was ever a time to study prophecy, that time is now. And we would really love to help you to, uh, to understand what the Word of God says about the future. That's why I'm going to encourage you to go to our website, livetheword.org. It's still very much a work in progress. But as things develop, all these questions we're responding to and trying to do so in a brief, concise way. You'd be able at our website to see all the questions and just click on and hear a response to a question that you may have. Here is another important question, because I think a lot of people ask this as they begin to study Bible prophecy. Why is there such widespread disagreement as to what is going to happen before the Lord returns? Good question. Let me point out, there are two things that we all, when I say we, I'm talking about true believers. I'm talking about those of us that embrace the Word of God as the Word of God. There are two things that we all agree on, and that is Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he rules. He rules as the king. And then secondly, He will return. We all agree to this now. In fact, when he went back to heaven, the angel said, this same Jesus will come again. We all agree that he will literally, and that means physically, visibly, return to earth in glory, and he's going to judge all the inhabitants of the earth. We all agree to that. So the question becomes, Well, why are there such divergent views? Apparently, the Catholic Church has a whole different view. 
the Orthodox Church, a different view. A number of Protestants hold to uh, different views than some that maybe you have been taught. And the reason for these differences is that we respond to a couple of questions in different ways. The questions really are threefold, and it's all having to do with what do we mean when we say that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he reigns over a glorious kingdom? What exactly does that mean? First of all, we ask, when will he reign? Now, some answer that question, well, he's reigning right now. He's reigning in the hearts and minds of those that have come to know him through faith. And that is the reign described in the Word of God. But there are other possibilities. But a second question is this. How will he reign? What will it look like? What will be, in essence, the reality of his reign? Is it merely that right now he's reigning over the body of Christ and those that know him? Or will that reign be more tangible? Will it literally, this next question that comes up, where will it be? Could it literally be on the earth? Will Jesus Christ, when he returns, establish his kingdom on the earth? So Bible-believing Christians really answer these questions differently. And that's why when it comes to the end times, it can get rather confusing. Now, I like to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, to demonstrate how the differences uh, surface in terms of the way we interpret Scripture. If you go to Revelation, chapter 20, what we see is that it says, Then an angel came down from the heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. By the way, we know from chapter 19, Jesus Christ has returned. And it says, And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, if you continue to read in this passage, you're going to see repeated that uh, statement, uh, a thousand years. It says he's thrown into the pit, and he's sealed over him, so he can't deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. Six different times in these verses in Revelation chapter 20 reference a thousand years. Now, how do you interpret that thousand years largely determines your view of the end times, your view in terms of eschatology. There are those that believe that there is no literal millennium or thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. You can call this amillennial, ah, ah, meaning no millennium. Now, those that hold to this position believe that Jesus Christ is reigning now but that when he returns, this thousand years is merely a statement of a long period of time. And so once he returns, he, he has already been reigning, and he returns, and then we have a new heaven and a new earth. So those who interpret this see this thousand years as, well, figurative of a long period of time. Then you have those that are millennialist, who are, would call themselves premillennial, and by the way, this is, I think, how we have to interpret Scripture, where we hold to the position that if the literal meaning makes sense, we embrace no other sense, lest we get into nonsense. And it could be a thousand years. Why not? Why shouldn't Jesus reign on the earth that he created? And so those who are, quote, pre-millennial are saying that Jesus comes and then reigns, pre, comes before a thousand-year period of time in which he literally reigns on the earth in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. 
Now, I've tried to simplify this, and I hope I have not confused you. I uh, want to do my best to clarify. If you have a question, please email me, john at livetheword.org, and I would uh, love to have the opportunity to, to make uh, bring clarification. Essentially, what it comes down to is how we interpret the Word of God. Our emphasis is on literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. We're mindful that there is figurative language throughout the Word of God, and especially when it comes to prophecy. But behind that uh, figurative language, there is something that is literal, and that's what we're looking for, that we cannot pour meaning into words. And so if the plain sense makes sense, as I've said before, uh, we go with that. We believe it. To think of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth reigning over the earth is pretty amazing. But there is ample biblical evidence to substantiate this. And in fact, Jews are still longing for the arrival of the Mashiach, the Messiah, that they believe will reign on the earth from the city of Jerusalem. 